According to his promise, we are looking for new heavens and a new earth in which righteousness dwells. And therefore, beloved, since you look for these things, be diligent to be found by him in peace, spotless and blameless, and grow in the grace and knowledge of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Our growth comes through the scriptures. Once again, we are in Proverbs 15 this morning. Proverbs 15. Working our way through uh, down to verse uh, 6, 7, and 8, 9, and how about all down in there? About a third of the way through the chapter, 33 verses in the chapter, so... Here we are. Before we begin, let's take a moment for silent prayer, asking our Father to set aside our distractions, to open the eyes of our understanding, to bless our time in His Word this morning, shall we pray. Father, we do thank You for this morning and the truth of Your Word, the blessing we have to assemble together. Father, thank You for uh, the Gideons uh, dropped in just a minute ago and, and the prayer we had with them. and. Father, just thank you for, uh, for all that you do. Thank you for your faithfulness. Open the eyes of our understanding. Teach us and feed us this morning. I thank you, Father, in Jesus Christ's name. Amen. All right, so Proverbs 15, and uh, we've been working our way through. Uh, we, last week we were looking at the parental discipline verses, and so that was point six in the outline. Specifically from verse 5 here, a fool rejects his father's discipline, but he who regards reproof is sensible. And this, uh, even though we're past the parental portion of this book, even though we continue to be in adult capacity in uh, the personal and public wisdom of, uh, of what it means, that doesn't mean that we can forget everything our parents told us when we were growing up. And uh, also we recognize, of course, that the Father's discipline is uh, largely God the Father when it, when it comes to His discipline in our life as we, uh, as we proceed through the Christian walk. And so uh, we dealt with the issues there. Uh, the idea of keeping or guarding reproof, similar to how Adam was commanded to guard the garden. We want to guard reproof. Same thing with keeping the uh, the larger concept of the way of the Lord. And I hope we didn't go through this too quickly last week, that we can continue to to grasp this as a concept. The way of the Lord uh, is is the larger field. The, the, the idea of discipline is the smaller field, is a subset of the larger field. But keeping the way of the Lord, the commandments of the Lord, the, the, the way uh, of wisdom. We'll have some of this language coming up again, by the way, in, um, in uh, verses 8 and 9, because there's the way of the wicked in verse 9, and yet there's the pursuit of righteousness in, in verse 9b. And so when we talk about our way, uh, the Christian way of life, or the believer's way, or what Hebrews calls the race that is set before us. That's what we're talking about. The overall course of our, of our existence in time is uh, what we're dealing with. And that's a way that, uh, that the Bible describes for us, and we should be keeping that way. We're going to talk about that under points uh, 7 and 8. And so last week, I think we finished this slide, we talked about the way of the Lord, the commandments of the Lord, keeping that way, noticing how it is a family uh, business, if you will, all right? Think about different things you can run as a family business if you have a, a home enterprise or you have a, a bed and breakfast or, a, or whatever you have as a home business, a family business uh, as it relates to that. Well, the Christian way of life is a family business and the kids should be learning it from their mom and dad. And uh, the issues there, I, th- I think of everything on the slide, we'll just repeat Genesis 18, 19 this morning, and then we'll move on. But in Genesis 18, when God is talking to himself and asking, uh, shall I hide from Abraham what I'm about to do? Uh, the answer is, of course, no. 
I'm not going to hide from Abraham what I'm about to do. And in fact, God doesn't operate on the basis of ignorance. God doesn't operate by keeping us in the dark. God is very much purpose-driven in what he does, and with all due respect to the purpose-driven universe. But the, uh, the, uh, the fact is that God makes his purpose known so that we can be volitional participants in what he's doing. And we read this in Genesis 18, 19. Uh, uh, well, the, the question in verse 17, the Lord said, shall I hide from Abraham what I'm about to do? Since Abraham will surely become a great and mighty nation, and in him all the nations of the earth will be blessed. And we can paraphrase that or conceptualize that as given that he is a steward of my plan and program, given that he's entrusted with the word of God, given that he has a spiritual work assignment in his stewardship, shall I hide from him what my purpose is? Okay, And then we bring it into the New Testament, bring it into the church age, and who are we? Okay, We're not we're, we have our stewardship, right? So is God going to hide from us what it is that he wants for us to do? Of course not. Because we are the stewards in his, in his plan, and, in the outworking of his plan and his program. And then it says, for I have chosen him so that he may command his children and his household after him to keep the way of the Lord by doing righteousness and justice so that the Lord may bring upon Abraham what he has spoken about him. And so we see that there's a family business, if you will, for the Christian way of life. And that, uh, that we train up our children in the way they should go. And that we portray the gospel, even uh, when our children are still too young to understand the gospel. And then uh, when they're old enough and they reach the age of accountability, they're going to they're gonna see it, they're going to hear it, they're going to be living it already in the process of, of being uh, raised in a Christian home. And then, uh, obviously, of course, that doesn't automatically save anybody. They still have to believe in Christ for eternal life. But we're, we're training them up in this way. So keeping the, the, the larger concept of keeping the way of the Lord, I think, is, uh, is vital that we recognize this. All right. And so parental discipline is a huge part of that. You learn your fear of the, of the Father by the fear of the Father, right? You know, you have a, a true fear of God the Father if you're, you're being nurtured in a, in a parental fear of, of earthly fathers and mothers. All right, well, all of that then brings us to, to verse 6. We've got to talk about money, wealth and income. And we have discussed wealth and income already. It's a subject that's come up previously. It's going to come up again uh, Proverbs does deal with things over and over again in different ways. But understand, first of all, let's look at verse um, 6. Great wealth is in the house of the righteous, but trouble is the income of the wicked. All right, so that's the verse, and it stands by itself. It's not connected with the other verses in the poetry, so we'll just handle it as a single verse. Um, again, great wealth is in the house of the righteous. But trouble is the is in the income of the wicked. And that's what it says. But we've got to understand, well, what does it mean? Are we limited to only the earthly sphere? So here's the point. It's a larger point, and we're going to demonstrate it and prove it as we move on. Wealth and income. Do you notice the poetry on this? Wealth and income, they're different things. Income is not wealth. We want to be clear on that. Wealth and income, they are different things, and they are both spiritual concepts and temporal concepts. All right, quit looking at that. I'm sorry, I should have not even put that up there. Read the verse and listen first, and then I'll let you write that down, all right? Wealth and income are different things, 
And you got to wrap your mind around what those things are. Okay? And then you got to recognize that spiritual wealth and physical wealth or temporal wealth are different things, right? That, that U.S. dollars is one currency and uh, God's uh, spiritual wealth doesn't operate on U.S. dollars, right? So we understand there's spiritual wealth and there's earthly wealth. You're laying up treasure in heaven on the one hand and you're going to the A-plus teacher's credit union on the other hand or whatever your bank happens to be, okay? And so we have earthly banks for the earthly money. We have heaven for the spiritual money. Are we clear on that? All right, now... The question then arises when we, when we come to a verse like this, great wealth is in the house of the righteous. Okay? What wealth is it talking about? Okay? Because, because if I'm not, if I'm not, you know, independently wealthy or some kind of a Bill Gates billionaire, is that, is that a problem? Is that, does that mean I'm not righteous? And if I am righteous, should I be wealthy? Should I, should I be viewing this with, no, clearly not. Okay? And likewise, trouble is the income of the wicked. So there are contrasts to be found here. So I'm going to put the point back up here in a minute. When, um, when I am relating them, what's the, what's the connection between them? Is there a relationship between them? Is there, is there a dynamic that connects spiritual wealth with earthly wealth? Is there, is there, a, um, is there an analogy? How are they analogous? How does one relate to the other? Are they completely unrelated? But if there is a relationship, what direction does it go? What controls what? And, and that's what I want to talk about. So here's, here's the point. Fundamentally, wealth and income are spiritual concepts. First and foremost, they're spiritual concepts. Then secondarily, they have analogous principles in temporal life. Wealth and income are spiritual concepts with analogous principles in temporal life. That's the order you want to keep it in. And some people would turn it around. And, um, and when they do, I have some questions for them. Okay, But some people would turn it around. But my conviction is that wealth and income are spiritual concepts first and foremost. Because it says, seek ye first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things will be added unto you. So if there is an order of precedence, if there's an order of priority, if there's an order of reality followed by analogy, this is the way it has to be. And if it's not, I think we're, we're upside down. So wealth and income are spiritual concepts with analogous principles in temporal life. Now, just consider the alternative. If I'm going to stand here and defend for you this morning the definition of say, well, wealth and income are earthly concepts with analogous principles or illustrations in spiritual life. You, you see why that's weak? You see why that falls short? So, yeah, money is an earthly thing, and I'm just going to draw a principle from it uh, in my spiritual walk. Okay, wait a minute, I think that's weak. I think that fails to. I think that fails the, the the whole point. See, you can do this. By the way, it's not money's not the only thing you can do this with. Okay, so how about marriage? Right, husbands and wives, head of the church. Okay, Christ is the head of the church. Now think about it. Now, if marriage 
is, is marriage an earthly institution that we then find illustrations and principles and we have a, a secondary application? Or is it the other way around? Okay, Is there a spiritual concept that precedes marriage, that precedes family, that precedes creation, that precedes individual volition? See? So in other words, do we have it upside down? Do we have it backwards? All right. So, I believe these are spiritual concepts that have analogous principles in temporal life. Okay? And that's the, uh, the aspect there. Okay. Um, so again, when we're looking at this in, spirit, uh, in uh, spiritual terms then, great wealth is in the house of the righteous. Tremendous wealth by virtue of this being a house of the righteous. Okay? It is the house of the righteous. And so what is there? Wealth. Righteousness itself is great wealth. When we talk about the difference between income and wealth, uh, these are some of the things that we have to explore. So you have wealth in the first half of the poetry, income in the second half of the, po- of the, uh, of the poetry, and uh, we apply them together, right? But trouble is the income of the wicked. All right, clearly this is a spiritual concept that has analogous principles in temporal life. Uh, back to chapter 8 when this was uh, previously dealt with. Chapter 8, verses 18 and 21. Proverbs eight eighteen says, Riches and honor are with me, enduring wealth and righteousness. There it is again, the tandem of wealth with righteousness. You talk about what's imputed to our account, God's righteousness is imputed to our account, and how wealthy are we on that basis? of being the recipients of God's righteousness. Well, we're infinitely wealthy. We're eternally wealthy. We have standing with God. We have a position of eternal life, having that righteousness imputed to our account. And uh, remember when we discussed this, was this earthly money or spiritual money? It's spiritual money. It's eternal because it's enduring, enduring wealth and righteousness. Verse 21, uh, to endow those who love me. What's an endowment? An endowment, and the idea of being endowed, the idea of a future legacy, the idea of an eternal uh, bequest is the idea of the endowment there. And so this is what we receive when the, when the, uh, when the will is read, right? This is, what, this is our endowment. This is our, um, this is our inheritance. Those who love me with wealth that I may fill their treasuries. A spiritual concept an eternal concept in the heavenly places in Christ. And if we have some kind of currency in earthly terms in the meantime, well, that's, that's beside the point, right? That's, uh, that's another issue. The real issue is our spiritual wealth. In Luke chapter 12, it's spelled out this way. In Luke chapter 12, you've got this rich guy, and he's, he's actually he's destitute. He, he has all the, the earthly bucks in the world, but he's uh, eternally, he's destitute. And Jesus calls him a fool. Luke chapter 12. And so um, you have the parable in, um, 
oh, verses 15 and following here. Um, because there's an there's a argument over the inheritance, right? So somebody in the crowd said to him, teacher, tell my brother to divide the inheritance with me. Like Jesus is in charge of that or something, right? You know, church people are always bringing stuff to the pastor to solve this. Like, I'm not in charge of that. Leave me alone. Um, but he said, man, who appointed me as a judge or arbiter over you? All right, it's not my realm. And he said to them, beware and be on your guard against every form of greed, for not even when one has an abundance does his life consist of his possessions. And so there's a whole principle in that verse alone. What you have, even if you have a lot, that's not your, your possessions does not define you. Your possessions does not define your life, your livelihood. So this is why he then tells the parable and talks about this guy. His land is very productive. And because it's productive, that means he's got income. And with that income is a surplus. And with a surplus, what do you have the possibility to do with the surplus? And um, so anyway, he's not going to share and he's not going to be generous. He's not going to be gracious. He's, uh, his whole point in the surplus is he has too much uh, because he can't keep it all. And the point is that he needs bigger barns so he can keep more. And uh, this person will never be satisfied because he will never have sufficient. He will always need greater capacity to store more. And that's the, that's the definition then. So when he says, you fool, let's see here, in verse 19, so he, I, I will say to my soul, soul, you have many goods laid up for many years to come. Take your ease, eat, drink, and be merry. Is that the point? And why has he not been doing that even up till now? And what is he waiting for to do that? And what's wrong with doing that while you're generous and gracious with your abundance? And, uh, and other things. Uh, he will never eat, drink, and be merry because he will never be satisfied. He's waiting until he has the sufficient number of barns in order to, uh, to express this. The point is, he's, he's waiting for the day that he can say verse 19, but that day will never come. And, uh, but God said to him, you fool, this very night your soul is required of you, and now who will own what you have prepared? The point is, if you're making preparations, who are you making preparations for and why? So is the man who stores up treasure for himself and is not rich towards God. That's the definition of what heavenly wealth is about, rich towards God. If you're just storing up treasure for yourself, you're not rich towards God. You might be personally rich, but you're spiritually destitute. And so he says to his disciples, for this reason... I say to you, do not worry about your life as to what you will eat, nor to your body as to what you will put on. Now we realize that if you don't eat, you don't live. And God knows that. God's not stupid. But life is more than what you eat and what you wear and your possessions. In fact, that comes second. Your first life, your real life, is being rich towards God, is your spiritual wealth towards God. So don't worry about your life, your bios life, your livelihood, your income as to what you will eat or your body as to what you will put on. Life is more than food. The body is more than clothing. If, if, if that's what we're wrapped up in, then why are we saved? We're just like unbelievers at that point in our thinking. Consider the ravens. They neither sow nor reap. They have no storeroom nor barn. Yet God feeds them how much more valuable you are than the birds. Okay? God knows what you need, and God will supply your need. 
Which of you by worrying can add a single hour to his lifespan? If then you cannot do even a very little thing, why do you worry about other matters? And boy, there's a there's a, a thing. We're all worked up about income. We're all worked up about livelihood. We're all worked up about earthly dollars. Totally ignoring sp- spiritual life. And that's a problem. And uh, that, he calls that a little thing. He says, you can't even handle the little thing. How uh, are you going to handle the other matters? Consider the lilies, how they, how they grow. They neither toil nor spin, but I tell you, not even Solomon in all his glory clothed himself like one of these. But if God so clothes the grass of the field which is alive today and tomorrow is thrown into the furnace, how much more will He clothe you, you men of little faith? And so think about it. Think about the transient nature of flowers and then think about the transient nature of us and why are we so worried about what we're worried about? We should have an eternal perspective. We should be focused on our, our spiritual work assignment. What we're doing is unto the Lord. Everything else is in the meantime. Okay? So, uh, you men of little faith, do not seek what you will eat and what you will drink and do not keep worrying. For all these things the nations of the world eagerly seek, but your Father knows that you need these things. But seek His kingdom and these things will be added to you. So seek ye first. Seek ye first, okay? The second things can come second. The spiritual things have to come first. We want to be clear on that. And so uh, these are the these are the, the questions then that we ask. If if uh, you know I'm considering a promotion, I'm considering a new job, I'm considering uh, considering uh, my company might transfer me to another town. Well, question number one: Is there a doctrine in that town? Is there a local church there? Is there a faithful pastor? Can I feed my family spiritually? If there's no local church there. I mean, that's question number one in my mind. Not so for a lot of folks. A lot of folks make that question number nine, question number ten. I mean, it's down on their low list of priorities. You know, it's, you know, how much money can I make? What kind of house can I buy? What kind of schools can I put my kids into? What kind of, you know, uh, what kind of, uh, I mean, I don't really want to become a a Chicago Cubs fan, so what kind of baseball team do they have? Um, (laughs) Got to find out, uh, you know, uh, all you know, got a long list of things, and then oh yeah, by the way, is there a church? Okay, well, no big deal. I can just tape it. I can just download. I can I can podcast. Uh, you know, whatever. And uh, and we live in a day and age now where you can podcast a dozen different pastors or more, and you can uh, you can get all the doctrine and live wherever you want to live. See but you're not operating in a flock and you're not submitting to the authority of a shepherd and you're not contributing to the needs of the saints and you're not operating in the lampstand as the Father designed it. Okay? And on top of all that, you put, you took what God said, seek ye first, and you dropped it down to seek ye twentieth. How dare you? What are you doing? Seek ye first means seek ye first. So item number one. All right. And so uh, we have the principles there. Um, Verse 32 says, Do not be afraid, little flock, for your Father has chosen gladly to give you the kingdom. Sell your possessions. Give to charity. And if you you have the right heavenly mindset, then 
The application will be there in earthly terms. Make yourselves money belts which do not wear out. Wow. Okay. I don't know if, uh, if you're a crafty person. or some, some people are craftier than others and, and good with their hands and good with making little things, you know, good with making things out of wood or making things out of leather or making things out of beads or making things out of stuff. I don't know. I am not good at making things out of anything. Okay. Except I can make confusion out of simple illustrations. Um, but some people can take something and make something else out of it. And those people impress me. Okay? And, uh, but what this verse is saying is we can manufacture, we can self-manufacture, make yourselves, you know, if you make it yourself, you don't have to go to the store and buy it, make for yourself a money belt that doesn't wear out. Well, that sounds pretty cool. Okay? That sounds really cool. And this now gives me a second venue for my spiritual money. I'm not only am I laying up treasure in heaven, I also have a money belt that I carry around with me here on earth. It's a separate metaphor, is it not? Because I'm laying up treasure in heaven, but I also have my money belt that I'm manufacturing myself. All right. That seems pretty cool. And it doesn't wear out. That's really cool. Like the shoes in the wilderness that for 40 years they know the shoes didn't wear out. Well, we get to make these money belts that don't wear out. So let me ask you, if you're going to make a money belt, you're going to make a little one or a big one? <laughs> well, you're making it. How big do you want to make it? How little do you want to make it? Well, I just, I don't want to, you know, I don't want a very big one. I mean, that would be gaudy. That would be ostentatious. I don't want to carry around this big thing. I'll just, something discreet, something small. Well, the smaller you limit it to, that the limited, you know, funds you're going to carry around with you. All right. An unfailing treasure in heaven where no thief comes near nor moth destroys. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. And so I think if you're heavenly minded first, then your heart is where it needs to be. Everything else takes care of itself. If your heart is wrong, if your heart is poisoned, then you might follow some secular principles of finance, but your heart is wrong to start with. So that issue is, uh, is what it is there. All right. Uh, James, James 5. Come now, you rich, weep and howl for your miseries which are coming upon you. That doesn't make any sense. I thought if I was rich, I wouldn't have any problems. (laughs) If I was rich, then all problems go away. Rich people are never miserable. Weep and howl your miseries which are coming upon you. Your riches have rotted and your garments have become moth-eaten. Whatever you're accumulating here on earth is vulnerable. Whatever you're stacking up in earthly treasure is vulnerable. Say, not me, I'm diversified. Not me, I'm 
I'm protected. I've hedged everything and, and uh, I've insured everything else. <laughs> okay. And uh, it's either hedged or insured or diversified and I'm safe. Really? All right. Your riches have rotted, your garments have become moth-eaten, your gold and your silver have rusted. Their rust will be a witness against you. And it's curious to me how we call things precious metals and God calls them perishable metals. We have not been redeemed with perishable things like silver or gold from our futile way of life, but with the precious blood of Jesus Christ. Okay, And here it's perishable and it's rusted their rust will be a witness against you, will consume your flesh like fire. It is in the last days that you have stored up your treasure. And so you've got the wrong perspective on wealth. You're operating on earthly wisdom instead of heavenly wisdom. And now your riches are actually um, working against you. You find yourself in a, in a consequence of consumption, consuming your flesh like fire. And uh, you're actually, uh, you'd be better off without it. <laughs> it's actually working against you. This, uh, this, uh, these, these encumbrances and these, these things. Behold, the pay of the laborers who mowed your fields and which has been withheld by you cries out against you. You had an unbiblical business practice. You were cheating and uh, you withheld their just compensation. And uh, you're the one that, that carries the spiritual consequences for doing that. And uh, whatever you thought you could get away with, whatever you thought you could uh, defer, and uh, so forth, you're not gaining anything. Your soul is suffering by reason of your, uh, your, your motivations. The outcry of those who did the harvest has reached the ears of the Lord, of the, of Lord Sabaoth. See, it's like when the blood of Abel was crying out from the ground and the Lord comes down and looks around and asks uh, Cain, you know, where is your brother? He said, am I my brother's keeper? His blood is crying out from the ground. Okay? Abel's dead and the murder suspects are pretty limited when you've got Cain and Abel and Adam and Eve, Cain and Abel, right? All right, there was sisters and other sons and daughters too. But nevertheless, God knows who did it and the blood was crying out. Here, the wages are crying out. Right? The money uh, you should have paid, you've withheld it. What are you waiting for? What are you delaying for? The outcry of those who did the harvesting has reached the ears of the Lord of the Sabbath. They were supposed to be paid cash daily. Close a business, cash them out. Don't keep it overnight. Don't keep his cloak overnight. Don't keep these other things overnight. Close the business. Workday is done. Okay? At COB, cash them out. That was the biblical mandate. But, you know, you're going to withhold. You're going to do what? You're going to pay him weekly, pay him monthly. You're going to hope he dies the next day. I mean, you know, they didn't have workman's comp back then. <laughs> you know, if he's dead, I don't have to pay him, right? Anyway. You have lived luxuriously on the earth. Now if you think about it, with again, income is not wealth. Wealth, um, luxury is a noun, luxuriously is an adverb. <laughs> okay, And even if we possess luxuries, do we live luxuriously? There's a question. Okay, 
Why do we have luxuries? He gives us all things richly to enjoy, right? And what's the difference? And how do we, how do we apply this now? So you have lived luxuriously on the earth and led a life of wanton pleasure. Is that what it's about? Is that why He's given us this wealth? Or do we find pleasure in glorifying Jesus Christ? Do we find pleasure in, in uh, serving the Lord? That Acts 13 passage we talked about, David after he served the purpose of God in his generation. That's what we're doing. It's God's good pleasure. It's God's purpose. It's God's, you know, and, and we're not saying it's a life of drudgery. We should have no kind of fun on this earth or we're going to be, you know, dour Puritans that never smile in any photograph. And, and, you know, we can still have fun. We should have a blast serving the Lord. And it's not about uh, our own personal feasting and enjoyment and luxuriously, especially at the expense of others because we're not paying them what is due them. Led a life of wanton pleasure. You have fattened your hearts in a day of slaughter. Is our heart fat? Is our soul fat? Have we, have we grown so fat that we can't even fit in our armor anymore? <laughs> okay. That's a problem. And, uh, you know, if, it's, if today is the day of slaughter, what, what's the, which sheep is it that gets, that gets slaughtered? The fat one, that's right. I always want to be the second fattest. <laughs> All right. You have condemned and put to death the righteous man, and he does not resist you. Wow. There's condemnation. So, uh, we want to be appropriately... Uh, focused. And I think the, the only way to be appropriately focused is not to look at money. Don't look at wealth and income and money. Don't look at earthly finances as being the primary issue that then has a secondary application by way of illustration or analogy or comparison. That's backwards. Spiritual wealth is the primary issue. Spiritual wealth is the primary issue that has illustrations, applications, and, and uh, similarities. Finally then, uh, Revelation 3, verses 17 and 18. Revelation 3, this is uh, Laodicea, the lukewarm church. Probably uh, most descriptive of 21st century American churchianity. To the angelos, messenger of the church in Laodicea, write, the amen, the faithful and true witness, the beginning of the creation of God says this, I know your deeds, that you are neither cold nor hot. I wish that you were cold or hot. Pick one. So because you are lukewarm and neither hot nor cold, I will spit you out of my mouth. The fact is, God can use hot pastors and He can use cold pastors. <laughs> okay? And, uh, you know, you want your uh, steak hot and you want your beverage cold. I mean, there are things that need to be hot and there are things that need to be cold. And if everything is lukewarm, then nothing is good. And if you're trying to please everybody, nothing you don't please anybody and nothing's good. And so... Uh, you know, pick one. Be the, be the hot angel or be the cold angel. 
He'll use either one in different circumstances. He can use Peter in one way and Paul in another way and, and aspects there. But because you say, uh, you are lukewarm, I'm going to spit you out of my mouth. Because you say, I am rich and have become wealthy and have need of nothing. Now here's the problem. Lukewarm worked. Whatever length of time this guy spent being lukewarm, it, it, it worked. He, he made a lot of money that way. This church was thriving financially. I am rich and have become wealthy and have need of nothing. So I imagine this pastor is going to speak at a lot of conferences. He's going to publish a lot of books. He's going to be on radio programs. Uh, his model will be you know, highlighted in, in different uh, venues. Because it works. I am rich and have become wealthy and have need of nothing. And you talk about a, 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 a paradigm, right? This is a model. And it worked. You realize there is so much uh, a temptation to pragmatism that uh, it's still to this day, it's, I think it's always been the case, if it works it must be right. Okay? Well, why do you have a problem with what I'm doing? Look at the results. Isn't this a great thing? We've got thousands of people that are filling these seats and isn't this a great thing? It works. Well, what do you mean by it works? You tell me it works. Okay? There's a lot of things that people tell me, but it works. I said, but it's not a biblical practice. But it works. But it's not a biblical practice. And what do you mean by it works? Okay? And I get this a lot. See, particularly with folks that are uh, violating the biblical uh, mandates for the, the shepherding of their soul. And they're paying $120 a, a, a billable hour to spill their soul to an unbeliever. Okay? And that unbeliever is not entitled to your soul. What are you doing? You, you know, you're supposed to guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus and you're paying them good money to go unguard it and throw it all out there to an unbeliever. Or even if he's saved. He's not your shepherd. What are you doing? In any event. But it works. What do you mean it works? Well... I feel good. I feel better. And, uh, and the drugs help. <laughs> and I feel better. And, and, well, really, methamphetamines work. I get it. You feel better. It's not biblical. It's not biblical. But see, this is what it comes down to. Well, I'm, I'm rich. I've become wealthy. I have need of nothing. It works. Whereas, you know, you're not rich, you're not wealthy, and you have lots of needs. Okay? All of that is true. But my God shall supply all my need. All right. You do not know that you are wretched, miserable, poor, blind, and naked. The spiritual reality is the polar opposite from the financial, physical reality, right? And so you could have the fattest bank account in the world and be spiritually naked, be um, wretched, miserable, poor, blind, and naked. And you've got no idea. Because it is that polar opposite. So I advise you. And what a, what a phrase, I advise you. Here's what I suggest. 
I advise you, buy from me gold refined by fire. Buy from me. In other words, you need to participate in an economy that you've not been participating in up till now. And in in terms of of the exchange, remember uh, these are all expressed in terms of a commercial transaction, a voluntary exchange of goods and services. Buy from me gold refined by fire. Stop being so wrapped up in, in U.S. dollars that you forgot to make your gold purchase from your Heavenly Father. Okay? Where do you buy this kind of gold? <laughs> Where's this marketplace? How do, I, how do I do this? How do I go to that heavenly bank? Where do I go to the heavenly gold market so I can put the gold in my money bag that doesn't wear out and carry it around with me and make use of it here on earth? See? It's more than just deposits. There's also withdrawals. There's also purchases. There's also a money pouch. There's also things I carry around with me. Gold refined by fire. That sounds like testing. (laughs) It is. Refined by fire is testing. If you want to buy this kind of gold, you've got to submit to this kind of testing. So that you may become rich. You may become rich. I mean, how do you buy this gold? You know, in, 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 in earthly terms, if I, I go to a, there's a place out by my house that sells gold and I can go out there and I can buy gold and it's, you know, whatever dollars per ounce that, that the spot price for gold is today or the spot price for silver or whatever I'm going to buy. And so if I can go buy, and there you, you see some of these hidden videos where these morons on the street, uh, a guy offers them uh, a, a bar of silver or a bar of chocolate. Oh my goodness. Okay? And, and they have no clue that there's intrinsic worth in that metal. That they could, they could buy this bar of silver for $10 and sell it for $1,500. Okay? Or whatever the, 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 the thing is. You know? So they take the chocolate bar. Okay? Are you kidding me? Anyway. Um, but so if I can buy a bar of gold for you know, 10 bucks and then go sell it for $1,000, isn't that a good thing? Am I not accumulating wealth? Buy low, sell high. I mean, that's the, that's the, that's the theory, right? All right. And if, uh, if in order to buy this gold, I need to be refined by fire, well, am I willing to do that? What's it worth? What's it worth? So, well, I don't like the refining. <laughs> you know? It, it, the refining hurts. That's not, you know, I, I don't think I should go through the refining. Well... There you go. This is the process. So that you may become rich. And white garments so that you may clothe yourself. Remember, this guy's naked. He's naked and there's no reason to be naked. You can buy these garments. Well, what do I got to do to clothe myself? What do I got to do to buy these white garments? How much do they cost? Well, the white garments are the righteous acts of the saints. Have you done any righteous acts lately? You can buy those garments. And you can wear them today. You're not waiting to get to the Bema seat. To, these aren't the garments you're going to wear someday when you're going to ride a white horse and come back and conquer at Armageddon. This guy's naked today. He's being rebuked today. He's advised today to buy these garments. That the shame of your nakedness will not be revealed. 
So you're naked right now, you just don't know it. People with eyes to see it can see it. They're looking at you. But you don't even see it yet. And then you're also blind, but there's a product for that too. Okay? <laughs> there's a product for that too. Let me tell you, here's, a, here's what you can put on your eyes. But you've got to buy this also. Eye salve to anoint your eyes that you may see. The, the, the recognition is that every deficiency you have has a remedy, but the marketplace to purchase that remedy is God. Your willingness to walk the walk that He's designed you for. To be refined by fire, to bear the good fruit, to, uh, to purchase the clothing, to purchase the eye salve. To apply the necessary provision to remove the blindness. He wants you to see. He wants you to hear. Why are you blind? Eye salve to anoint your eyes so that you may see. I think the anointing is the language of the Holy Spirit and the eye salve concept is confession of sin, but there's a whole lot more we can go into that. There's different understandings of of these metaphors. But the point being, he's using the spiritual economy to make his point. And the spiritual economy is the point. The earthly economy is the reflection. Let me say that again. Spiritual wealth is real wealth. Earthly wealth is the reflection. It's the concept that imitates See. What about families? What about parents and children, fathers and sons? Does God use the language of God the Father and God the Son because that is an illustration of earthly fathers and earthly sons? That's upside down. That's backwards. God the Father and God the Son preceded earthly parenting, preceded earthly uh, procreation, preceded even you know animals and humans and the, the, the replicating after its kind kind of thing. The pattern of father and son goes back to the beginning of his ways, before his works of old. And so let's not confuse this. Wealth and income, they are spiritual concepts with analogous principles in temporal life. So if you want to teach biblical economics, start by teaching spiritual economics and then give the earthly reflections the earthly reflections, okay? I hope, hope that all makes sense. All right, so that's uh, Proverbs 15, 6. Verses, we covered verse 7 already earlier when we were talking about, uh, like weeks ago when we were talking about uh, wisdom and foolishness and the speaking when we were talking about the gentle answer turns away wrath and the tongue of the... so. We included verse 7 in what we talked about with verses 1 and 2. Let's get a look at verses 8 and 9. The sacrifice of the wicked is an abomination to the Lord, but the prayer of the upright is his delight. The way of the wicked is an abomination to the Lord, but he loves one who pursues righteousness. All right, so verses 8 and 9 are a tandem, and it really forms a double-double poetry on this. Because we got sacrifices, we have prayers, we have wicked contrast with upright, we have the way contrasted with the pursuit, and then of course we have um, abominations and 
delights. There's a lot of, uh, of uh, contrast here in these verses. Verse 8 and verse 9. But we're talking, what are we talking about? We're talking about a priesthood first of all and then a way of life second. The priesthood with sacrifices and prayers. Priestly ministry first of all and then the course of your life, your way. The way of the wicked. The pursuit of righteousness. So if you want to talk about your, the course of your life, the way of your life, your lifetime, that's fine, we can talk about that, but priesthood comes first. Your prayers, your sacrifices, then your way and your pursuit. The contrast, here's point eight in the outline, the contrast of wicked and upright is poetically expressed in terms of my title now, Life Course Worship. Life Course Worship. The contrast of wicked and upright is poetically expressed in terms of life course worship. Life course. Life hyphen course. Life course. You know, the course of your life. You know, how it gets summarized in your obituary when you die, <laughs> you know, and you get uh, three linear inches or whatever you get, and you, call, you, you get as much as you want to pay for, but you get uh, the length of, of newspaper column there that you want to have written down. And you can read those and you think, oh, okay. And, uh, you know, how, how do they get described? You know, they're all, they're all the same, right? Everybody was born, everybody died, and they did stuff in between. <laughs> but what do they do in between? And how do they encapsulate, uh, encapsulate that? What's the summary of that? Say, well, you know, he was a, a pastor for 60 years. All right, got it. That's a, that's a thumbnail, that's, a, that's a, a summary, okay? Or whatever, he was a firefighter for 30 years. He was, you know, whatever. And in Oftentimes it's expressed in terms of a career, an occupation, uh, some kind of a, uh, maybe a military pursuit or whatever. Or uh, maybe it's related to uh, the political life or their service to the community or the family that they raised, you know, the father of whatever, grandfather or whatever, great-grandfather of whatever. But think about the life course. And again, when it comes down to that, so, you know, what are they? What's the epitaph they put on the on the uh, tombstone? Okay, here lies so and so, and what what is it that encapsulates his his life course? Was he a faithful husband, faithful father, pastor? You know, a great sinner with a great God. I like that one. <laughs> okay, and uh, there's different. Uh, things there. But think about it now. In in your life course, what is it that summarizes it? What is it that describes it? What is it that that, uh, as it's, is it it an abomination to God? Is it a delight to God? Does he push it away from him? Does he hug it close to him? And before you even get to the way or the pursuit, we got both words there in verse 9, the way or the pursuit. Okay. So what is your life's pursuit? Uh, before you get to that, though, we have the priesthood. We have the sacrifice and the prayer. We have the sacrifices. Okay, And the wicked are sacrificing same as us. 
Everybody sacrifices, either to God or to demons, okay? Either to God or to Satan in the whole fallen cosmos system. Everybody's sacrificing. Don't think that even the atheists are sacrificing when it comes down to that, okay? I'm going to prove that to you this morning. We're going to see. In fact, biblically speaking, who was the first sacrifice ever? Cain, the unbeliever, was the first sacrifice ever. Yeah, they brought the vegetables. And he wasn't even saved, Doug. And he brought the first sacrifice, okay? All right. So we have in verse 8, the sacrifice of the wicked is an abomination to the Lord, but the prayer of the upright is his delight. We're going to start with that. And then we'll talk about the, uh, the way and the pursuit. The way of the wicked is an abomination to the Lord, but he loves one who pursues righteousness. So this is the poetry of what we're looking at. It's a contrast of wicked and upright, poetically expressed in terms of life course worship. I'm going to kind of blend both verses here. The parallels are sacrifice prayer on the one hand and way pursuit on the other hand. Sacrifice prayer, way pursuit. Sacrifice prayer and way pursuit. So, believers of course have prayer sacrifices in the course of our way pursuit. Or we're supposed to. We're supposed to have sacrifices. And I'm, I'm glad we're learning about these in the book of Hebrews. Other passages, we'll come back next week and talk about these. We of course have prayer sacrifices in the course of our way pursuit. If, uh, if you don't, that's a problem. If your whole life is secular and you only think about the Lord, you know, one day a week or a couple days a month, then that's a problem. Okay, You're not seeking first the kingdom of God and His righteousness and having all these things added unto you. Instead, you're seeking first secular life, pursuing your career, pursuing your uh, family, pursuing your achievements, pursuing everything. And then your spiritual walk is an afterthought. Your spiritual thought is, eh, every so often, you know, when my temporal life gets to, to be a wreck, if it's, if it's crummy enough, I'll, I'll get religious for a little while until I can feel good about myself. And then then I'll go back to my crummy temporal life. Okay? Is that descriptive of a whole lot of people? I think it is. But we do have prayer sacrifices in the course of our way, way pursuit. You know, ultimately speaking, you know, what do you want to be known for? You know, your, your career, your, uh, how do you want your, your life to be summarized when all is said and done? You know, what do you want written on your, on your tombstone? Okay? All right. And then unbelievers. Next week we're also going to talk about how unbelievers, the wicked, has, have prayer sacrifices as well. And uh, we'll talk about those also. Okay? And by the wicked, by the way, some of them could be saved. <laughs> they could be saved. They have eternal life, but they're presently walking a walk of wickedness. Understand how that works? A born-again believer can be just as much an abomination as an unbeliever. Because if you're not living your life according to the transformation of the Word of God, you're going to be conformed to this age. And yes, you have eternal life. Yes, you're going to go to heaven when you die. But in the meantime, you are lining yourself up for the wrath of God. You're lining yourself up for discipline, for judgment, Judgment begins with the house of the Lord. So we're going to talk about this. The wicked prayer sacrifices, the wicked offerings, the wicked 
Uh, and, and some of them are very religious, but they're still wicked. The most wicked people in the world are the most religious people in the world. And they think they're morally good. God says they're wicked and that they are an abomination to Him. Again, the sacrifice of the wicked is an abomination to the Lord. Now realize that's not, uh, <laughs> that's not politically correct language. We live in a day and age in which uh, if you mention abomination um, you're going to be pilloried for, for hate speech that, uh, you know, because the Bible talks about abomination in a lot of different contexts. Okay? And uh, there's a whole crowd that doesn't want us preaching that. Alright, so here's where we'll pick up uh, Lord willing and rapture pending. Father, thank you for your faithfulness. Thank you for this day. Thank you for the truth of your word. Father, we uh, thank you for the reminders that uh, our real wealth is the heavenly wealth, the treasure that's laid up in heaven. And uh, the earthly dollars, the, uh, the earthly things, Father, they're, they're slated for destruction. Father, thank you for the perspective. Thank you for the context. Thank you for the reminders that uh, the book of Proverbs provides. Thank you for the blessing that we have to come together Wednesday after Wednesday after Wednesday um, studying to show ourselves approved. Thank you for brothers and sisters that make the Word of God a priority. I thank you, Father, and I praise you in Jesus Christ's name. Amen.